Hi, I'm Mathieu Rompré. And I'm Peggy Moss. And welcome to the Blake's... Hey, Mathieu, you okay? You don't sound right. I don't know, Peggy. I've been doing way too much binge-watching and I'm having awkward dreams, all related to work. And I'm left with tiring legal questions. Like what? Well, uh, let's say I have a zoo in Quebec. Oh boy, here we go. Um, you know, with, with big exotic animals. But no one comes because of COVID. Can I invoke force majeure? Maybe defamation? I mean, Joe Exotic must have a case, right? Tiger King? Seriously? I think it's time to launch episode four of the Blake's Continuity Podcast, in which we talk about litigation. We reach Mathieu Libin in Montreal, where he practices commercial litigation. Matt, bonjour, hello. Let's talk about force majeure first. Are businesses successfully invoking that in response to the impact of COVID-19? Yes, they certainly are. I mean, I guess it depends, uh, you know, on the definition of successful, because probably the outcome is, is not certain yet. Uh, we'll, we'll likely see uh, litigation flowing from it. But uh, we're seeing a lot of instances where it is being invoked. That said, uh, most force majeure clauses uh, are not actually crafted uh, to provide relief from a crisis like this one. Um, notably, most of the clauses that, that we've looked at uh, exclude monetary obligations and are therefore not really of any assistance uh, to parties that are looking for help to suspend uh, contractual payments. So what we've had to do uh, with respect to debtors that are seeking help to weather the storm is to look uh, into the agreement as a whole and consider whether there are other clauses that might be of assistance uh, or looking at legal doctrines that, that might help them. Um, and in other cases, the adverse party may have actually already invoked a force majeure clause, in which case the task for us is really to take a look and see uh, whether the clause has been properly applied and whether there's anything in the clause that could provide help uh, to our client with respect to the uh, performance of its own obligations. Um, and notably, uh, we take a look at whether the force majeure clause actually really uh, suspends performance or whether it actually only postpones the party's respective obligations. Right. What's distinctive about Quebec's force majeure regime? Well, here in Quebec, uh, unlike anywhere else in Canada, even in the absence of a force majeure clause in the contract, uh, the parties are uh, in a position to avail themselves of a force majeure defense uh, by virtue of the provisions of the civil code. And indeed, uh, the civil code provision actually uh, is only enforceable or applicable uh, when the contract is silent. So the parties can contract out of the Quebec um, force majeure regime. But if the contract is silent, the force majeure regime under the civil code is available to them. And what's interesting about the, the Quebec uh, civil code regime is that it does not exclude monetary obligations. So in many cases, it's actually uh, more favorable for a debtor uh, than the contractual, uh, typical contractual clause. Matt, you're in the unusual position of representing both landlords and tenants in the commercial real estate arena. And I'm wondering what kinds of issues you're seeing on both sides in light of the pandemic. Well, that's true. And I would say that this crisis is really going to have a significant and lasting impact 
on both landlords and tenants. And uh, both sides have come to us and, and sought out our help to try to resolve uh, issues uh, under their uh, leases, commercial leases. Um, I'm pleased to report that in essentially all of the cases where we've been uh, approached, uh, both parties had indeed already tried uh, to resolve the matters uh, voluntarily um, and had, had not been able to do so. So at that point, uh, when there's a logjam, we get involved, we take a look at the at the lease and we give advice as to how the party can best position itself either uh, in anticipation of a litigation or uh, to try to uh, perhaps break the logjam and get negotiations going again. In terms of what we're looking at, well, certainly we're looking at the force majeure clauses, uh, but we're also thinking about uh, whether the defense of non-performance uh, can be invoked. We're looking at whether the landlord is in default of its obligation to provide quiet enjoyment of the premises, and if so, what are the consequences of that? Uh, we're looking at whether the landlord is in default of its obligation to guarantee that the premises may be used for the intended purpose. Uh, we're looking at whether the contract uh, limits or um, removes these obligations entirely. Um, so there's a variety of different issues that we look at, obviously, depending on whether we're acting for a landlord or a tenant. The federal government recently weighed in on this. Um, what are the key takeaways of that pretty striking announcement? Well, uh, I think probably the, the key takeaways are, uh, firstly, that it gave uh, great hope, uh, particularly at first when the, when the precise uh, details of the program had not yet been uh, set out. It gave great hope to tenants uh, who viewed it as an opportunity to obtain up to 75% reduction in their uh, commercial uh, rent payments for the months of April, May, and June. Uh, when the details actually emerged, uh, I think the, the, the key thing is to consider, one, whether the landlord is prepared to actually opt in because it, it does turn out to be a purely optional program. And if so, um, how uh, eligibility for the program is to be uh, determined because not everyone is eligible. Uh, the program is really oriented to small and medium-sized businesses. And the criteria for determining that um, seemingly is based on a lease-by-lease basis uh, and the amount of rent that's payable under the lease with respect to a given lease. Matthew Libben, thank you very much. Robin Reinertsen, this is a good time to bring you into the conversation. You are a partner in the Litigation and Dispute Resolution Group based in Vancouver. In your practice, you deal mostly with class action defense. We know plaintiff's lawyers can become quite creative when it comes to filing a class action case. Has the current pandemic given them new reasons to be proactive, whether it's in BC or elsewhere in Canada? Yeah, the short answer is yes. We've seen a significant number of class action cases filed that are related to the COVID-19 pandemic in recent weeks, um, particularly in the U.S., which tends to lead in terms of class action activity. And then we'll see copycat claims filed in Canada. There has been um, just an astronomical number of cases filed, but we've also seen a significant number of new cases across Canada. What kinds of class action cases have you seen filed or do you expect to see in relation to COVID? Well, the claims are being uh, filed against uh, a wide range of businesses 
in um, a number of different industries. It's not just travel or healthcare, although those certainly are hotbeds of activity. Uh, we're seeing a lot of consumer claims. So people who had uh, travel reservations, uh, there have been claims commenced uh, for issuing credits instead of giving refunds to people who had to cancel their travel, uh, tickets for concerts and events, ski passes, amusement parks, um, as well as gym memberships, anything where you had to pay a monthly fee um, and you're not getting that service, but you're still paying the monthly fee, that's ripe for a class action. Uh, as I said, there's healthcare claims. So um, there have been claims filed in Quebec and in British Columbia, uh, and most recently in Ontario as well, related to outbreaks of COVID-19 at long-term care homes. We've seen claims regarding outbreaks at federal prisons. I think anywhere there is a significant clump or cluster of cases, we will see class action cases filed. Um, and then, you know, we're seeing insurance claims. Some of these cases have been filed already. Some of these cases have been filed in the U.S., and we expect to see them in Canada. Um, we expect to see employment-based class actions in relation to layoffs or for hazard pay or for dangerous working conditions. We may see an increase in privacy uh, cases or cybersecurity class actions. There's already been an action filed in California regarding Zoom. Um, in the US, they've also filed a claim against universities for canceled classes. So because the stakes are so high in this pandemic, we expect to see um, almost an unlimited scope for creativity and potential claims. Robin, there have been suggestions that the legal and political context in BC in particular is creating a kind of perfect storm for lawyers who prosecute class actions. When people say that, what do they mean? Well, the coronavirus pandemic has coincided with unrelated factors that have made BC a real hotspot for class actions within Canada right now. And there's two primary reasons for that. The first is the structure of BC's Class Proceedings Act and recent amendments to that legislation. And the second, oddly enough, is uh, the changes to ICBC, the Insurance Corporation of British Columbia, which is the mandatory motor vehicle insurer in the province. Um, so first, with respect to BC's Class Proceedings Act, BC recently became a jurisdiction that allows national class actions. We're also a no-cost jurisdiction, unlike Ontario uh, or most other provinces. So the cost and the risk to plaintiff's counsel of bringing a class action in BC is lower than in Ontario or other places. Simultaneously, we're seeing Ontario considering amendments to its class proceedings acts that would actually make it less attractive to file there. Um, and then in relation to ICBC, we've always had entrepreneurial creative class action council in BC, but we're seeing new people come onto the scene. There have been dramatic changes to the tort scheme in BC as it relates to motor vehicle claims. And our attorney general has recently announced an intention to move fully to a no-fault scheme. And essentially what that will mean is a number of plaintiff's lawyers who have made motor vehicle litigation their primary business will need to look for new cases and new types of claims. And so we expect to see um, many more people bringing uh, cases in, in BC in the near future. I can imagine it would be desirable to make yourself class action proof in that environment and that that would be hard to do. But are there things that businesses and clients can do to mitigate risks of class actions in the current situation? 
Unfortunately, you're quite right. It's not possible to become class action proof. There's always the risk that somebody will file a claim against you, even if there's no merit to that claim. Um, people often talk about uh, filing a uh, criminal case against a ham sandwich. And sometimes I feel like you could certify a ham sandwich in British Columbia. So there's always a potential risk. But you can do things to minimize your risk, and businesses really need to think carefully in this pandemic and ideally obtain legal advice before they communicate with their customers, their employees, their investors, and others. Um, there may be a temptation, I think, after this initial phase has passed to let the guard down, but we're entering a new stage of uh, longer-term measures, and we will start uh, reducing some of the restrictions that have been in place uh, or attempting phased return to work. And I think it'll be very important for businesses to really uh, pause and seek um, uh, legal advice about the best way to go about um, engaging in those activities and communicating those activities. The other thing I would urge our clients is that if they are faced with a class action, um, it's really important to get creative experienced counsel who can identify and exploit potential early exit strategies. These cases are just monsters of complexity, and the costs of uh, defending them over many years can be significant. So we really try to look for ways to end the case as soon as possible. Thank you, Robin and Matt. I know you and others on the litigation team are quite busy right now. Thank you for taking the time to bring us up to speed on the latest developments. Listeners, if you'd like more information, please check out the Blake's COVID-19 Resource Center on our website. Until next time, stay home and stay well. <laughs>